Well, I've been in Canada long enough to kind of have forgotten about the, the fact that today's the fourth. Um, but thank you so much for your warm welcome. Thank you to Pastor Matt uh, for the for the in invitation to speak today. Thank you to Kenny for his uh, help and preparation, and to to Matt as well for that very generous introduction. If you could turn in your Bibles to Psalm 80, that would be helpful as you're turning there. Just wanted to thank you as the people as well for singing as if you believe uh, the words that we were singing. That was very evident and it was encouraging to me as we turned to the Word of God. Psalm 80, and the message I want to bring to you today is called Prayer in Hard Times. Prayer in Hard Times. Psalm 80. Let's say a quick word of prayer as we turn to the Bible. Our Father in heaven, I pray that by your Spirit, you would show us your Son for the encouragement of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 80. To the choir master, according to Lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O Lord God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us. O Lord God of hosts, let your face shine, that we may be saved. Well, in order to make sure that we're making the right request to uh, various kinds of professionals that we may approach for the kinds of help that we may need, it helps to know something of their qualifications. It helps to know something of their background, their training, their experience. Um, it's, if we're injured, it's important that we see a doctor. If we're injured playing sports, we might want to see our, our family physician so that he could refer us to a specialist. If we're having confidence issues on a sports field, it's far better to see a sports psychologist. 
Pastors are great when you need clarity on something from God's word, but you're not going to want to approach them if you need a prescription written. We need to know who to turn to when we face various kinds of trouble. It, in crisis situations, it's critical to turn to the right place for the help that we need. And on the flip side of the coin, when we do identify the, the right source of help, we need to have the humility necessary to be honest about our needs when we come to that person. A doctor won't be able to help you with your problem if you don't come to him honestly with your symptoms. The Bible teaches us that God acts in ways that he wouldn't otherwise if we didn't pray. The Bible teaches us through Jesus that we are always to pray and to never give up. So what a help the Psalms are for us to know the qualifications of the one to whom we come with our prayers. Psalm 80 was written during a time of great trouble for the people of God. And I thought I'd share with you from this psalm because we've been facing unprecedented hard times of our own. Verses 12 and verse 2 and verse 12 suggest that God's people were suffering from their violent removal from the land of Israel in exile. And as we examine Psalm 80 as a prayer of lament that's poured out to God in this particularly uh, difficult, this particularly hard time in the history of Israel, one thing to notice right away is the thrice-repeated refrain in verses 3, 7, and 9. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. It's a prayer for restoration. It's a prayer for light in the darkness. It's a prayer for repentance before a saving God. You may not have noticed it as we read through the psalm, but it's interesting that the name used for God develops and becomes more full, more robust, more complete with each refrain. In verse 3, the psalmist simply addresses him as God. In verse 7, he's God of hosts. And in verse 19, he's the Lord God of hosts. Each time, the divine title that the psalmist comes to him with becomes slightly fuller than before. You may have read it with your family, but there's this great place in, in one of the books in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy, the, the youngest child in the, in the Pevensey family, hears Aslan calling to her. Aslan is the great lion. He's the great king of Narnia. And as she hears him calling her, she, she looked up and she saw his face. And she said, Aslan, you're bigger. And I just love his response. As he looks back to her, he says, no, little one, I'm not, but you are older. Every year that you grow, I will look bigger to you. The ever-expanding uses of the divine name in verses 3, 7, and 19 suggest to us that the more Asaph wrestles in prayer, the fuller picture he receives of the God to whom he prays. It's, it's not like God changes with each refrain, but Asaph's view of God becomes bigger and bigger as he prays. Let it be so with us. Because if we long to pray in ways that honor God, uh, in times of, of difficulty, we need to get a fuller sense. We need to get a bigger picture of who God is. We need to become more and more familiar with the fullness of who he's revealed himself to be in his word if we're going to come to him with appropriate requests in hard times. 
we're going to trust him with our needs, we need to know who he is. So Psalm 80 is a help to those who turn to God in hard times. It shows us that prayer in hard times doesn't resort to appealing to only one aspect of God's character. We're not stuck, if you like, going to the physician with our theological questions. We're not stuck going to the sports psychologist with our injuries. But prayer in hard times comes to a God in all of his infinite complexity, in all of his sufficiency, in all of his depth, recognizing all of his attributes when times are hard. So let's look together at how Psalm 80 guides us in making the right appeals to God in times of trouble. And we do so first, it does so first by showing us in verses 1 to 3 that prayer in hard times appeals to God, the shepherd king. I think it's fair to say that different cultures and in different societies at different times identify with different pictures and images of God from his word depending on the nature and the, the time and place of that culture. I think our society identifies with the notion of an, a loving God and an accepting God. We gravitate toward passages in the Bible where Jesus says, Come to me, whoever you are. No matter what your life looks like, I'll accept you. No matter how messed up you are, I will take you as you are. Our society likes a tolerant and a kind God. In other cultures where every single day had some kind of military threat on the horizon, people gravitated toward passages in the Bible where uh, the person is, is praying for the destruction of their enemies. Passages in the Bible where God is depicted as a fortress or a strong tower. One of the most universally beloved pictures of God in the Bible is God the shepherd. Many consider Psalm 23 to be their favorite. The image of God as shepherd is a comforting image. And that, that's the image the Psalm 80 starts with. He's the shepherd of Israel who leads his people like a flock. And note for a moment the boldness of the prayer there in verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd. Listen up. Please hear me. I wonder if there's a hint. If there's even a little dose of boldness in the mixture of your prayer life. If not, I wonder if you need a helping of verse 1's picture of God into your devotional diet. The shepherd image is helpful as we consider God because it reflects his heart of compassion. It reflects his leading initiative. It acknowledges our sheep-like dependence and helplessness when it comes to our spiritual survival. So perhaps knowing God as shepherd is the very thing that sparks the boldness of this prayer. If God is shepherd, he's likely to respond to the bold and desperate cries of the flock that he loves to lead. The bleats of his crying sheep move him to compassion and care. Now, you and I, we, we may be comfortable coming to God, coming to him boldly as God our shepherd, but what about God our king? Because in verse 1, he's not only the shepherd of Israel, he's also the king of glory. I think there's something inviting about the thought of God uh, gently holding on to a shepherd's staff. But I think there's also something somewhat threatening about a picture of God holding on to a king's scepter. But we can't forget the fact that when God reveals himself as the shepherd who leads us, verse 1, 
we're then required to follow him as our king. I think we're often eager to receive the benefits and care of God, our tender shepherd, but we can be hesitant to obey the marching orders of him as our king. I think we're often eager to to see God as this kind and, and generous shepherd who might throw his lost sheep over his shoulder, but one who holds the the right to judge in his right hand is one that we may recoil. And I think this thought of of hesitation and and guilt before a royal king is reflected in the psalm itself. In verse 3, the psalmist comes to God and asks him to stir up his might and come to save his people, which acknowledges the fact that they need saving. Verse 3 makes it clear that they need salvation from both sin and suffering alike. They need both material and spiritual salvation. So they cry out, restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. If you have an ESV Bible, you'll notice a footnote hovering over the words restore us. Because that phrase, as it it appears there in verse 3 and again in verse 7 and 19, could also be translated turn us again. Or even perhaps cause us to repent cause us to turn away from our wicked and rebellious ways. We're wandering sheep. We're unfaithful subjects in your kingdom. Here the psalmist admits that although God has done his part in leading the people, the people have lapsed in their duty to follow him as their God. God has done his part in ruling faithfully over his kingdom in righteousness, but the people have stumbled in their duty to obey him as his subjects. I wonder if we are willing to own up to the fact that we haven't followed God the way a shepherd king deserves to be followed. I wonder if we might be willing to use the words of the old Anglican prayer book, we've left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we've done those things which we shouldn't have. You may be weary from the pandemic, So you've grown tired of your circumstances, which has just led you to pure and simple spiritual laziness. You've lapsed in your attention to detail when it comes to God's commands. Or perhaps you might be here today and you wouldn't claim to be part of God's flock in the first place. You don't have a relationship with the king who sits on the throne of heaven. You're not even sure there is a heaven at all. Whatever the case, notice with me the fine print there above verse 1, which in the Hebrew Bible actually appears as verse 1. Those songs, uh, this psalm says that it's according to lilies, and which were songs sung by those whose situations were changing from bad to worse. I serve as the pastor of young adults at the Met, as, as Matt mentioned, and this summer we've decided to take up a little book club uh, that meets in our backyard, and, and we had our first meeting last Sunday, and, and for the icebreaker, we, we thought we might share one hope that we have for the summer and one hurt that we have from COVID. And it was really remarkable to hear the hurts. There were just seven of us that were there, but it was really significant to hear how people have been hurt personally from COVID. And I think if we took the time to share together today just one hurt One way your situation has gone from bad to worse uh, because of COVID, we would be shocked. 
Our circumstances have changed for the worse. So what a time this is for a psalm according to Lily's. I wonder if you might own up to your need for a change in your life. Things aren't the way you thought they'd be at this point. You might even say to a friend, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Your circumstances have led you to know full well that you need deliverance from your hurts. Or friends or close family members are hurt. And you just don't know how to care for them. Or you long for deliverance from the painful ripple effects of the ways that you have hurt others. You're feeling like nobody's hearing you. You've tried various solutions to your felt needs. I wonder if you might consider turning desperately to the one who reveals himself to be the shepherd of Israel. The one who reveals himself to rule over the heavenly beings. The one who shines in the darkness. The one who proves strong when we are weak. The one who's not only eager to restore us as our shepherd, but the one who's mighty to rule us as our king. Might you be so bold as to come to him and beg him to hear your prayers. No matter how wayward your life is, no matter how tangible those hurts feel, no matter how hard these times truly are. Because prayer in hard times appeals to God as shepherd king. Second, prayer in hard times appeals to God as sovereign warrior, verses 4 to 13. Here, the divine name used by the psalmist expands from God to God of hosts. The NLT shows verse 4 as saying, O God of heaven's armies. Here the psalmist uses imagery of God as divine warrior. He builds on his confession that he and his people need to be saved by God's shining face, verse 3, by admitting that they need to be saved from God's smoldering fury, verse 4. So much of the psalm recounts times where God has fought for his people. You can see it there in verses 8 and 9. But this poetic tale includes a plot twist, because God now fights against them. At times in history, we, he, was, he was Israel's courageous and valiant war hero, leading the charge against their enemies. He was the power behind the stones in David's sling. But now he's pictured as the giant leading the charge against Israel's cause. You can see you can see this come through very clearly in verse 4. How long will you be angry with our prayers? Verse 6, you make us an object of contention for our neighbors. Verse 12, you broke down our walls. This whole section is, is a powerful picture of what it looks like from the perspective of somebody who finds God, the sovereign warrior, against them. Which side of the battle do you find yourself? Do you fight with God out ahead of you? Or does God lead the charge against you? When God is for us, he's a shepherd, Psalm 23, who leads us beside still waters. But when he's against us, he's a warrior, verse 5, who feeds us with the bread of tears. In short, the psalmist is crying out to the God who made him, and he acknowledges the fact that life isn't the way it's supposed to be. I wonder if you feel this way. Like God isn't for you. Like he's stacked the cards against you. Like you, you can't catch a break. 
so you blame God. Or perhaps if you're honest, you don't like the presentation that you find in the Bible uh, about God. And that's what leads you to blame him in the first place. Because what we see through the cries of Psalm 80 is that the hard times we find ourselves in are caused not only by God's sinful people, but by the people's sinless God. In one sense, the people have brought these hard times upon themselves, verse 4. And in another, perhaps more foundational sense, verse 6, God has brought these hard times upon his people. In verses 8 to 13, we move from pasture and throne room to vineyard. And the phrase there in verse 13 is all all that move, you can see it there, that phrase is to be understood as a swarm of insects. The image we're to see here is one of a gardener who labored to put all kinds of fences and apparatuses and fertilizers on and around his garden so that pests wouldn't be able to feast on them and prevent them from growing. We're to see a gardener who then tears down those means of protection because the plants failed to produce fruit. God removed his own protection that he put in place for his people. The gardener who put up protection for the seeds he carefully planted in the soil becomes the warrior who tears down those garden gates. And in verse 12, the psalmist cries out, Why? Why, God, have you removed the protection that you yourself built for us in the first place? I don't understand why things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Why didn't you just stop this pandemic from from happening in the first place? I thought we were beyond all this. Things were going so well for us before. We were growing as a church. I, I think it was just before the pandemic that this church went to two services. We just expanded our church, but now it seems like, it feels like our growth has been stunted. Or so it appears. The prospect for the success of my business were looking great, and and now it's completely shot. I was just starting to make connections with people, and now they're scattered, and I don't even know how to get in touch with them. Why? I thought I'd be married by now, or, or at least dating, but I've never felt more alone. Didn't you realize that my parents wouldn't be able to see my two kids for almost two years because of COVID? Why? Why are you making things so easy on the secular world and so hard for the church? Do you find yourself praying like this? Or could it be that our prayers don't even get to that point? Instead of praying these things, you ever catch yourself thinking, hold on a second. If God is sovereign over all of this mess, if he's in control, if he's the sovereign warrior in control of all of my hurts, why would I even come to him in the first place? Why would I plead with him to f- turn things around, or, or much less to turn me around, if he's not only the pilot of this plane, but he's the one who sent the turbulence? If he's not only the captain of this ship, but he's the one who sent the storm. 
But if we really think deep on it, it actually all makes perfect sense. Because if God weren't, if he weren't the sovereign warrior who afflicts trouble on us, then he couldn't be the sovereign deliverer who saves us from it. Because the only one who, who can bring retribution for sins is also the only one who can bring restoration to sinners. Friends, don't let the fact that things aren't the way they're supposed to be stop you from praying the way you're supposed to pray. In fact, recognize that God loves us enough to afflict us. So that we're not tempted to become idolaters to the prosperity that we would enjoy without the affliction. I don't know any other worldview who, who views suffering and trials as this way. I don't know any other worldview that can look out at suffering and come honestly to a God that the people know full well is in control of it all and trust that he is going to help in times of trouble. So don't let your troubling circumstances deter you from praying, but plead with the God who once revealed himself as so powerfully fighting for his people to fight for you again. Because you know what? This plot twist that we read about here in Psalm 80, this plot twist about the God who once fought for his people but now leads the charge against them, it's not the last twist of its kind. There was a greater plot twist yet to come. Because the end of history doesn't have God fighting against his people. History doesn't end with God as a sovereign warrior leading the charge against them. Because one day, he would answer the prayer of the refrain. He would let his face shine that we may be saved. And he would do it through another voice crying out, why? But this time, it wouldn't be through God's psalmist. It would be through God's son. His son who wouldn't cry out through the melodies of an ancient song, but would cry out through the agonies of an ancient cross. Which brings us to the final invitation for those who strive to pray in times of trouble. Because Psalm 80 shows us in verses 14 to 19 that prayer in hard times appeals to God as saving father. Saving father. Here at the end of the psalm, the metaphor from verse 8 of the vine that God brought out of Egypt bleeds into the metaphor of the son God made strong for himself. The vine, verse 14, that God cares for like a divine gardener, is the son, verse 17, that God sets his hand upon like a divine father. Here the psalmist stops his pattern from verses 3 and 7. His pattern of asking God to, to cause his people to turn from their rebellious ways against him. And he turns to a new plea for God to consider turning himself away from his affliction against them. The psalmist asks God to repent. How do you like that? He basically commands God to stop using the wicked forces of the world to judge his people. He says, Lord, stop treating us like your enemies and get back to treating us like your son. He's saying, God, you're not, you're not somebody who, who 
begins a great work in your people and then fails to, to bring it all the way through. You're not the kind of person who just gives up on your projects. You're not like a man who's going through a midlife crisis who starts, who starts up taking up uh, restoring old cars and then realizes, I don't have the resources, I don't have the time, I don't have the patience for this, so he quits. You're not like us. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than my ways. You're the one of whom it said, I am sure that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're the father who waits on the edge of his seat for his prodigal to return home. And when he does, you run to him with loving embrace. One of the things we as believers need to do in our prayers is to plead to God on the basis of who he's revealed himself to be in his word. We need to learn to plead to God on the basis of who he is as our father in heaven. This is what Jesus told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father, not their heavenly father, your Heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? What would happen in your prayer life if you stopped seeing God as some kind of distant and opaque concept and started seeing him as a loving and compassionate Father? If you didn't see God as a mere shadow of who he's revealed himself to be. What would happen in your prayer life if you didn't only see God as a shepherd to turn to for wisdom when you go astray like a wandering sheep? What would happen in your prayer life if you didn't only see him as a warrior to call upon when you do battle against sin in the flesh? What if you saw him as dad? A father who keeps his word to his children. The one who lays his hand upon his son's shoulder. The one who promised to build him up and make him strong. I wonder how often you appeal to the promises of God in your prayers. As a dad, I can tell you how powerful those words are when they come into my ears. But daddy, you promised. Those are words that like skip my ears and go straight to my heart. Bring the promises of God, your loving Heavenly Father, to him in your prayers. I think it's true that on the tail end of COVID, we are a people desperate for hope. Desperate for a better future. Desperate for a change in our circumstances from bad to worse, and then worse to better. We're a people that are clinging to various sources for hope. And we broke the ice at our small group by, by not only sharing our hurts, but sharing our hopes. And I think this is a time to examine your heart for your hopes. What is it that you hope in? Our society is one that places a whole lot of hope in things like political parties and governments and things like that. And you may identify with that. You might tend to put a lot of your eggs in the basket of government and politics because hoping in a king appeals to you. 
Or you may place your hope in a mentor like Pastor Matt or Kenny because hoping in the care and loving leadership of a, of a shepherd appeals to you. Or you may place your hope in the safety our military provides to us or some sports team or the release of the next big Marvel film because hoping in a warrior appeals to you. Or you tend to put your hope in mom and dad because you know your need to be loved only the way a father can love you appeals to you. But what about a God who is all of that and more? What about a God who not only wrote a story more grand than all of those stories combined, but also features as the main character of the plot? Who isn't only a shepherd king, who isn't only a sovereign warrior, but he's also a saving father. And, and let's just get really, let's get down to it, really practical. How do we actually know that once we're convinced that God is this way, how do we actually know that he's going to answer our prayers? How do we actually know that when we go into our prayer room for 10 minutes, maybe to start, if you're new to the whole prayer thing, if you're anything like a normal human being and prayer is somewhat difficult, 15 minutes, 30, however long you pray, how do you know that it's just not an outright waste of time? How do you know that being alone with this, with this, with this guiding shepherd king and this, this strong sovereign warrior and this compassionate and saving father will actually make a difference? We'll take a look at verse 14. The psalmist cried out there for God to look down from heaven and see. But isn't it true that God did us one better? He came down from heaven to save. He proved his ultimate faithfulness to his promises by sending the true vine, verse 14, to reveal himself, verse 15, as the son of God's right hand. God would send the true vine son, Jesus Christ, to be the good shepherd who wouldn't only lead his people like a flock, but he would lay his life down for them as his sheep. Jesus Christ was the better king who would make a throne out of a cross. He came to be the warrior of heaven who would take on the anger of his father with his own question why? And he would have his prayer unanswered. He would call upon the name of God, verse 18, and die so that our Heavenly Father might give us life when we call upon his name. God turned his face away from Jesus so that we can always freely pray to our Heavenly Father the words of verse 19. O oh Lord of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. And I think it's true that God answered that prayer in the ultimate way. Through the words of, of what we read earlier in the service. In the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians 4. He answered the prayer in the ultimate way that he would let his face shine. And Paul says the light of the knowledge of the glory of God has shined in the face of Jesus Christ. Because it's in that knowledge 
that those who place their faith, faith in the beauty of Christ's face, who look through the eyes of faith at Christ, the shepherd king, Christ, the sovereign warrior, Christ, the gift of our loving, saving heavenly father, those who look upon his light are truly and finally saved. How might knowing that, believing that, change our prayer life in hard times? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to your table now, I pray that you would let your face shine. That as we come around the table together, breaking bread and drinking the cup, that we would be reminded profoundly of the loving sacrifice of the Good Shepherd. Of the victorious and royal resurrection of Christ the King. And that we would see your heart as our loving and saving Father. And may, as, may we, as we partake in this time together, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen.